Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We're entering today's episode with an image that may be familiar to everyone, especially fans of film in the West, and it's a somewhat stereotypical image, that of the Indian mystic, often called a fakir, F-A-K-I-R, someone using the power of the mind to accomplish seemingly extraordinary feats. A fakir is a Muslim or Hindu religious ascetic, traditionally, uh, a mendicant monk who is sometimes thought of as a miracle worker. And we've heard the tales, right? They sound, they have, let's be diplomatic, they range in plausibility, The idea is this, through intense meditation, these individuals are able to do things like walk on fire without being burned. They can be buried alive for days at a time. They can lie on a bed of nails with no injury, and allegedly, they can even do things like levitate or survive for 40 days without food or water. So what is happening here? Today's question, could the mind alone be responsible for these astonishing, seemingly miraculous feats. Here are the facts. 
First of all, really quickly, though, uh, you literally just described all stuff that's like David Blaine type material. I think he's done all of those things. I think he's uh, survived for however long without food and, you know, walked on broken, eat swallowed glasses and puked up frogs. I don't know. I'm wondering if that's if, if he's got some of these uh, these abilities. But let's get to the facts for sure. The mind is absolutely capable of, of extraordinary feats. In a previous episode, we've explored things that could technically be considered mind over matter. Um, The most widely acknowledged examples being the human mind affecting physical changes within the human body, specifically the brain. I mean, we're not talking about telekinesis yet, Uh, but there is evidence for this that is super fascinating. Uh, Let's start with mental health and the immune system. Yeah, we we know for sure that someone's mental state can actually affect whether or not they are vulnerable to specific certain diseases. It can also affect how quickly someone recovers from something or uh, how well their immune system responds to something that is invading their body. Again, that sounds weird, but again, the, the mind is kind of the control mechanism for a lot of these things, even the ones that occur without our uh, conscious input, Right. There's a professor named Steve Colt. He's a professor of medicine and psychiatry at the University of California in Los Angeles. He has been looking at this link between the way people feel, emotions essentially, and the way that can affect biology. So that link between biology and emotion. And Steve Colt, this professor, explains that the immune system has two essential programs that it can run. One that's going to fight off viral infections, viruses like old corona, um, and then another that fights bacterial infections. And this one causes the body to become inflamed, is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> inflammation. You, it, like red, warm, you've, you've had it before somewhere in your body, I assure you. Um, now, this bacterial fighting program, the one that causes uh, inflammation and a response like that, it has a really big downside. In an effort to keep everything healthy, to keep your immune cells functioning, the ones that actually fight that good fight, uh, the body can also cause tissue damage through this process and this program that it runs to protect itself. That's a, that's a big problem, right? Mm-hmm. You're right. And, and his work shows us pretty conclusively that what we would commonly call negative experiences, maybe a, in a, a cancer diagnosis or depression, PTSD, and interestingly enough, lower socioeconomic states, which should, which I wish people would talk about more often. All of these things, all of these things that could be at the very least described as downers are also associated with increased activity of inflammation genes in your immune cells. That's, that's not completely a, a horrible thing because it seems logical then that if a negative experience and negative emotions lead to problems with your immune system, positive experiences like happiness might have the opposite effect. And this leads Professor Cole to ask himself a very strange question. How, he asks, can an immune cell register an abstract concept like happiness. It's something philosophers have argued about before the dawn of recorded time. And skeptics out there, including those in this room, may think, well, there's got to be some kind of explanation there with uh, a, a, like a biochemical 
reaction, something that gets released when you're feeling happiness. As we, because we know, and we've talked about in previous episodes, that the brain releases all kinds of varying chemicals depending on what you're feeling. Uh, everything from love to hate. And, you know, perhaps there's something there happening, but perhaps it's different than that. It's bigger. Let's, let's keep our minds open as we go through this. Yeah. And, you know, philosophy uh, talks about this. I think it's a platonic concept, the idea of eudaimonia, which is uh, hap- it's, it's like happiness, but it's not it's more like a sense of purpose and well-being and kind of it's a bigger concept than just like I'm happy right now. It's more of like a life happiness than I'm momentarily happy because I'm cuddling a puppy. Um, and that is the concept that Professor Cole kind of leaned on. Um, and uh, one of the categories is this eudaimonic happiness, the idea of well-being uh, and all of that stuff that with that purpose. And then there's hedonic, which again, would you think of? Uh, as being like hedonistic, which is experiencing being flooded with pod- positive emotions. Um, he talks about eudaimonic happiness is more, like I said, that direction in life, having like an internal compass and knowing that you're doing the right thing. Um, even connectedness to like the universe or the idea of a, a God or, or what have you. Um, and he led a study where 80 healthy adults took questionnaires about their sense of well-being, um, which were used to assess their level of eudaimonic and hedonic happiness. Then he drew blood to study how their immune cells reacted. Um, and the response summed up in the Atlantic is, is pretty fascinating. That's correct. The researchers found that a high score on eudaimonic well-being correlated with a more favorable genetic expression profile. This means that when you feel that you are part of something bigger, that's eudaimonic happiness. When you feel like you matter in the universe, you have a destiny, you're going in a direction, your immune cells show high levels of antiviral responses and low levels of inflammatory response. This this means, when we think about it, oddly enough, all those people that were once called hippies turned out in a way to be right. Positive vibes matter, bro, or whatever you want to say. Uh, (laughs) Things that boost this sense, this eudaimonic well-being, things like meditation, reduce that inflammatory activity, increase antiviral response, they improve the function of specific strains of immune cells, and then they also lead to higher antibody production. That that is real mind over matter. Yes. And we as we do on the show all the time, that is one specific study, right? It doesn't mean that's the end all be all truth of the matter, but it definitely appears to be showing us that it's a possibility, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's a good point, Matt, because uh, Professor Cole has worked extensively in this field. So that's one study to give you a snapshot, but you can read more about his work uh, to your heart's content on your browser of choice. And this idea, this weird relationship of mind over matter, because that's really what we're talking about when we talk about the claims of various mystics. This idea goes much further than just an antiviral response. Next, we have to talk about not just meditation, but taxi drivers, Buddhist monks, the human brain. What do these all have in common? It's weird. (laughs) I know that was clickbaity, but it got us there. Yes. You may recall an episode we did a little while back on real-life superhumans. Mm -hmm. Does anybody remember a fellow named Iceman? 
or Wim Hof. Yo, oh, yeah. Is, is, he, is he the one who cometh? He, yeah. If it's cold enough, yeah. Sure. Wow. <laughs> he cometh, wow. he stayeth, he don't yeah. dieth. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's, that's his superpower. Yeah, dude. Um, he He's world-renowned. He's been on numerous... I don't I don't know which television shows but a ton he's been featured all over the place because he has a real superpower. He can withstand the most freezing temperatures that are available. We're talking temperatures that would kill most mortal humans such as I. Uh it, it's intense stuff. And he doesn't do it like he wasn't born with some special DNA. What he does is mind over body techniques, including uh, it's it's mostly breathing techniques, seriously, and and body movements like flexing muscles and tensing things. And he increases his temperature. He increases his internal temperature with his mind and and, and just breathing like yeah. He also exposes himself to cold temperatures more than the average person, but that doesn't matter. So, wait, wait, so is that sort of the equivalent of like taking a little bit of poison over time so that when a snake bites you, you're immune? It, it, no, nah, it's really just like, I'll yeah. tell you what it's like. I'll tell you what it's like. And I'm not comparing myself to, to you, Iceman, if you're listening. You, you are <laughs> a god among men. Uh, uh, spicy things like capsaicin levels and exposing yourself to higher and higher doses over time. Not unlike poison in this, it's more of your mind deciding that the pain doesn't matter. It's changing the threshold. It's changing your, but right. It's just it's sort of like, uh, uh, like raising the bar for your threshold of pain or what you can handle. It's not necessarily the same as like giving yourself, building up an immunity to something that actually affects your body and could kill you. It's more, but I'm still confused. It's like, what about things like frostbite? Like, what about things that, like, you know, if you touch a, a surface that's so cold, it affects your skin. It can rip the skin right off. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy things that can happen. How does he How does he deal with that? Uh, he, he has limits. Typically, the feats that you will see him accomplish, again, through the power of the mind, are things like running marathons in freezing weather barefoot, uh, sitting for extended amounts of time, meditating in, as you said, Matt, conditions that would kill an ordinary person. The specific, He calls it the Wim Hof technique, and you can learn it, the specific pattern of, of breathing and meditation. But he didn't make this up out of whole cloth. There have been other people who have been conquering their nervous system responses through meditation for years. And in some cases, it begins to physically affect their brains. Before we move on, if you want to learn more about Wim Hof and other real-life superpowers, we have two podcasts on it because we kept finding really, really bizarre things. I also still have a list somewhere of, and I don't want to offend anyone, of the uh, the superpowers that I arbitrarily thought were like not to the threshold of us being able to put them in a real life superpowers episode. Yeah, the the Great Lakes guys, right? Yes, yeah, like the doorman. Oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, but when we talk about these superpowers, when we talk about mind over matter, we we get it, right? Everybody's saying, guys, we get it. Meditation, it makes you feel better, and your body does a little better, and you may not freeze to death quite as quickly. What gives? Meditation does much more than that. And we have two stunning examples. Uh, the first one, Buddhist monks. Speaking of stereotypes, the uh, stereotype of Buddhist monks is that they meditate all the time, right? 
Well, I'm sorry to keep belaboring the point here, but back to Wim Hof just for two seconds, if you would indulge me, Ben. I'm looking at some images of this guy, and he's a fascinating-looking character. He has that uh, that that Sherpa kind of vibe that you were talking about at the top of the show. That's the wrong term. But uh, I see an image of him in a, ba- a bath of ice with, like, measurement little suction cups on his body. So I'm assuming, like, this stuff has been verified. Like, I mean, it's not some kind of, like, hoax. Like, you guys both seem to be fully on board with this guy's abilities. Uh would would you do you think science is as well, or is there still like the jury's out as to like is he really doing this with his mind? I see a peach. I, I can I'm, assure you, mm-hmm. this guy is legit. He is real. I have watched uncut shots of this dude doing crazy stuff. There, yeah, it's real. I love it. Okay, I'm sold. But there is research uh, beyond just this gentleman that, that dates back much farther, showing that that Buddhist monks who spend long hours meditating on a regular basis have uh, somehow managed to slow the aging of their brain. Um, in one particular case, brain scans verified that a 41-year-old monk named Yonge Mingyur Renpoche um, had managed to retain the brain of a 33-year-old person. Uh, his brain is essentially functioning uh, at a capacity eight years uh, better <laughs> than what it actually should be, eight years younger. He, he has managed to, to slow the aging of his brain. I want to bring up just a point of contention here that I'd love to get somebody's, uh, like y'all's opinion on, and then also you listening. Um, I wonder if there's anything happening there where the complications of Yonge's life are slightly less than that of someone existing, let's say, just in a city who's running around meeting a bunch of different people. Uh, tackling varying problems in bringing new information in at all times that they're processing at all times, not getting as much sleep. Like, I wonder, I wonder how it seems like a difficult thing to compare like those two people's experiences, I guess, in like how the brain functions. Yeah. 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 And I don't mean to project this because I don't know if this is correct at, at all, but it does seem like the life of a monk is so very different um, and the essentially the input that goes into the brain is so vastly different. I probably have the brain of a 75-year-old man, honestly, with all of the rapid-fire multitasking and lack of sleep. And like you said, just the existence in a much more fast-paced world and a uh, shorter attention span, you know? Whereas, like, I, it's a really good question. Like, if, 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 uh, if reading and studying and meditating is exercise, you know, what, what is little nuggety bits of information that we, uh, as, as modern humans, you know, uh, tend to, to build our lives around? What is that? Is that just junk food? Is our brain atrophying because we're only feeding it little bits at a time as opposed to longer form stuff that maybe works it out better? I don't know. I, this is all hypothetical. I'm just asking what you guys think. So, Matt, to answer your question, I would say that, um, this is a tremendous, this is a tremendous issue in the methodology because with long hours of meditation uh, also comes, uh, long hours of what we would call focused attention. So you're not to your point, Noel, uh, shooting off emails or kind of living in the ADHD environment that is foisted upon us, uh, by the modern era when everything is connected and people for some ridiculous reason get mad if you don't instantly respond to their text, which, what is that? 
anyhow, the the like the the big part of this is that um this isn't just a study with one monk. This is one example, but we see that these long periods of time are like when we say brain is younger, what we're really talking about is neuroplasticity, which tends to degrade over time. Something this person is doing. And meditation, scientists believe, is a big part of it based on other studies they've done. Something this person is doing is allowing them to retain neuroplasticity at a level that should not be happening. Because think about this, if we wanted to disprove this, or if we wanted to, not disprove, but to separate the conflation of a quote-unquote simpler life and, you know, Buddhist meditation, then we would want to have a study where we take someone else who is probably not as inundated with technology, communication, pollution, new variables of day-to-day life in, say, a city, but doesn't practice meditation. We would want to compare the two. And I think physically we would see some commonalities, but mentally it looks like focused thought, mind over matter, is the, is the prime mover in this situation. Yeah, I, I think the next step also, you do that study, you do studies then as well of uh, city folk who are, you know, working every day, have a family, a busy lifestyle, who also meditate on a regular basis. That's and a great see, point. see where everything lies. Just, you know, just putting that out there, who knows? Let, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about something else. No, 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 no. I love what you're saying. And I love the idea that we're pitching research to postgrads. <laughs> listening to the show. This is what, if you're after that grant money, come to us if you need a really weird idea. Uh, because furthermore, that meditation physically changes part of the brain. It doesn't just preserve it. You know what I mean? We're not keeping the boat just on the top side of the ocean. We're building bigger decks on, on, on the vessel. Speaking of decks, I really just want to find out if I'm meditating about magic cards all day, is that equivalent to me, you know, uh, doing the practices of a Buddhist monk? Because if it is the same, then we're good to go. <laughs> right. What, 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 what if I like binge a really smart television series over the course of three days? Does that count? Maybe. I, I Yeah, it can't hurt you, right? Uh can't I, it I, though? I, Can't it though? <laughs> I feel like I'm definitely going to get dementia. I'm just putting that. Out there. <laughs> I mean, it's if look, it's 2020. We are aware of so many terrible things. You know, if it, like it, when I hear someone say that they're doing great and they're okay, I don't believe them. <laughs> and if I do believe them, I think that they're just not as aware of themselves. They should be. Which sounds terrible and cynical, uh, but yeah. but we do know we do know um, this is this goes beyond the power of mind over matter goes beyond that association of meditation, esoteric breathing techniques, and so on. As a matter of fact, if you have ever been to London, you have encountered or at least seen somebody with phenomenal power over their brain. They've actually they've physically changed their brains and not on purpose. It's it's we did a car stuff episode about this years ago. I don't even know how many. Uh if you want to drive one of those famous black cabs in London, you cannot use a GPS for to to pass to get you have to instead memorize thousands and thousands and thousands of streets and 
thousands of alternate routes between these streets from any given place within a certain circumference of the city. This test is so hard that people just call it the knowledge. And there, there are these kids, these young, these young folks riding around on like little motor scooters trying to memorize streets. That's all they do all the time, all day, so they can pass the knowledge, which has on a good day a 50% fail rate pretty consistently. Do, do London cabbies make like a really good wage? The black cabs are expensive. Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. Dad, you, you've, you've heard us mention this before. I think it's the same Wim Hof episode where it's, it's something beyond normal learning. What's happening here is these people who are studying for this knowledge, who get the knowledge, they are physically altering their brains. They're like the folds are changing. The physical makeup is changing. Uh, it's it's intense stuff. It's mental exercise and it's working. Like how crazy is that? Your thoughts are changing. Like imagine if you looked at your hand and you thought so much about your hand that your hand, your your right hand or your left hand, pick one for the sake of Can I look at both? Okay. Yeah, two both hands. Or, can I do yeah. two hands? I would do one for this exercise. Okay, but, okay right. you know, teach your own. So you hold up, just hold up a hand. It's convenient to you. And imagine if you stared at this hand for hours a day, uh, for years, and then you held up your other hand you didn't stare at. And let me do a trick of the left. It was like way smaller. That's what that's what's happening with the people who take the knowledge and work as black cab taxi drivers. Their hippocampus specifically. This is the scientific term. I read this in the study. I'm not saying this to be glib, their hippocampus balloons, balloons, uh, and they have better spatial memory uh, than far beyond that of the average human person. And this may come at a cost to other, uh, other types of memories. But the important part is they thought enough about something and it cha- physically changed their body. And these are these are profound examples, yes, uh, and they're familiar to longtime listeners, but a lot of us are probably in the audience saying, hang on, this this isn't the whole story, right? Uh, what about people, you guys talked about mystics, right? The, you're telling us about people who slowly, over a period of years or decades, do have power of mind over matter, but their mind is, the matter they're affecting tends to be the human brain, Are there people who really can, for example, lie on a bed of nails without bleeding, walk across fire and not be burned? It's fire walking. It's the stuff of legend. It is often associated with divinity or some sort of mental capacity beyond what we know today. But could someone actually do this? The answer is maybe a little more complicated than you'd like to think. And we're going to get into it right after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. 
I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. So good news, yes, people can really do these things. In fact, and this may be even better news, it is nowhere near as difficult as you might think. And yes, your mental state, the correct mindset is important, uh, but that's far from the only ingredient in the recipe here. Some folks are perhaps going to take this as bad news. They might see us as debunking this, but other folks, you know, in the audience may feel empowered. Firewalking, that's what it's called. A little bit misleading, but but how does firewalking work? Firewalk with me. Oh, no, boy. Nobody? Oh, yeah. boy. Lynch. I thought about that. I had that playing while I was looking at some of this stuff. I'm just imagining him, like, uh, interrogating a small, 
I think a capuchin maybe or another uh-huh. primate. <laughs> mm. Okay, let's get to it. I love his voice through the Lynch voice, but fire walking nowadays seems like a kind of isolated practice. It's not something a lot of people get together uh, to do with their friends on the weekend all the time. Uh, we have this stereotype that squarely places it in India, right? But people have been doing this for thousands of years in places across the globe. The earliest documented reference does go back to India in 1200 BC, but you'll see firewalker, you'll see people calling themselves firewalkers in Spain, Greece, Fiji, Polynesia, and there's nothing supernatural about it. There is zero supernatural stuff at play here. Uh, you can probably do it yourself, but, 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 but don't, don't legally, we, we are not telling you to do this. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Don't go to the ER with your feet all messed up and say that Ben, Matt, and Noel told me this would be a cool thing to do because we're not. We're just saying you're probably physically capable of doing it. Yes, I, I would say don't do it unless you have production insurance, like the cast of The Office had. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It's a very epic moment. Team building. It was team building. That's right. Probably, That's probably right. not something that most offices would get approved as a team building exercise, but I, I like the gesture. I couldn't even get a budget for us to play laser tag, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but but should I watch The Office over here? I haven't, I haven't seen the U.S. version. That is yes. wild. Yes, oh. you should, and the second season of Community. Oh, my goodness. I have and, seen The Office all the way through probably nine times. It's like my comfort food show. I just put it on when I want to feel okay. So let's talk about what firewalking actually is or you know what it generally refers to. There's usually a nice long bed of coals, really hot coals, stuff that'll burn you for sure. Uh, let's say it's about 10 feet long. Then on one end, you've got human beings, actual human beings with no shoes, no f- no foot coverings whatsoever, lined up ready to just walk across it. And guess what happens? They do. In the instance of some of the mystics we're talking about, a lot of times it will be an individual person that is taking a walk across the coals and then maybe waiting for a moment and taking a walk back across the coals. And it really is just science. It's it's something that science can pretty quickly answer, sadly. I don't know if it's sad. It's pretty, I, I find it inspiring. It was mystic, man. It was incredible. It was mind-blowing, at least for me. I remember it. But remember now, when there was magic in the world, guys? There still is. Science came along. It just has nothing to do up. with coals on the right. ground. Okay. Yeah, it's true because, I mean, you don't see... There's a lot of work that goes into making one of these scenarios, you know, like when you hire the company to make your coal pit for your team building exercise, they show up well in advance of the actual exercise and they got to dig a trench first then they got to lay out the coals, they got to light them. And you probably would notice that these coals aren't like flaming hot. You're not shooting like, you know, an accelerant on them. They're not shooting flames out left and right they're basically embers uh they've been allowed to burn down uh to the point that they're not you know actually actively on fire anymore so yeah, but embers are hot mm-hmm. 
they are. They can they can be hotter than a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, but uh, Ben, you turned us on to this fact. This is fascinating. There, uh, because of the actual coal. And by the way, so fire walking is kind of a is a misnomer. It would be more accurately described as coal walking. Ben, as you pointed out to us, um, and uh, the carbon structure of coal is really bad at conducting heat. So if you kind of zip along, you know, uh, hot-footedly, um, you're going to – there's a little bit of a lag in how quickly it conducts heat from the coal to your actual uh, bare feet. And that's why you don't see a bunch of people getting together to have either a social rite of passage or a, a corporate team-building exercise by walking on a 10-foot row of burning metal sheet pans. Oh, you, you, you don't don't do it. Uh, there, there's a reason. There's a science to this. Yeah, coal is just a, a terrible, terrible conductor of heat. Uh, water also has a high thermal capacity, so you don't see the prep work before you see that amazing walk. Uh, there are hours of people very carefully organizing, igniting the coal, and then letting it burn down while they smooth it out. Uh, they let the wood burn so that the embers don't retain water. And they use specific types of wood. So hardwood embers like cherry and maple might glow red-orange, look hot, but they don't burn as hot as other types of wood like olive wood. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Firewalk pros know this, the Tony Robbins of the world and so on. That's right. And another major factor here is essentially what I do with my grill, what maybe you do with your grill when you're cooking if you set the coals up, if you cook with coals, uh, but you set coals up kind of in a pile, you set it on fire, then once the like fire a, is like going... Like a pyramid, right? Like almost, yeah. Well, once fire's going, you spread that baby out. So you've got essentially a flat layer of coals across the entirety of that surface. The same thing is happening here. The coals are then spread out specifically so that you're not going to, when you place your foot on top of it, you're not going to go into coals, Right? You're not going to surround your foot with a step with coals. You're going to step across one single layer or as close to one single layer as possible. Mm -hmm. You might also, uh, might also dip your feet in some water. And that is because when liquid meets intense heat, it forms an insulating, albeit temporary, layer of steam. This is something called the Lidenfrost effect. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. What, <laughs> sir, sir, what was that? Oh, yeah, it was, uh, I meant to say, Zenlidenfrost effect! Okay, I just uh, wanted to make sure I got it. It's the reason why you can lick your the tip of your fingers and then snuff out a candle without hurting yourself. Uh, and yes, we are pronouncing that correctly. It does have to be screamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, in all caps yeah. anywhere that it's printed. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so with, with all this, you know, like what you were saying earlier, Noel, uh, we do see a pace mattering because if you have prepared this way, your wood's right, your your surface is flat, there's not actual flame being emitted, and you just walk at a brisk pace, you know what I mean? You walk like it's kind of cold outside and you're in a hurry, then you are going to receive a relatively small amount of harmless heat with each step. But that changes very quickly if you saunter too much or you meander, and it Don't also changes. Yeah, it also changes if you run. It just it gets worse on either side of the spectrum. 
just slow and steady. That's what the tortoise was talking about, or the turtle, or whatever other slow animal in that parable. You want to? Oh, you don't want to run. So he really is all about just like a nice, even saunter. Continue across. Um, Wow. You know, it's it's funny that it is so simple like that, and it does seem like anybody could do it, and it's not hard necessarily. But that really isn't the point, at least in a lot of the ways it was done in the past and the way it's viewed as a ritual, right? It, it is more about mind over body, almost convincing yourself that it's going to be okay if I do this, or I have the mental strength to go through with this thing that seems terrifying. Yeah, it's it's sort of the, I mean, like it's, it's it's a little bit different, but if you're someone who's terrified of like roller coasters or heights, heights, let's just say, let's just simplify it, and then you psych yourself out to go on a really terrifying roller coaster, that's mind over matter as well, because you know, re, in reality, that thing could break down and eject you, you know, at the very top of the of the you know biggest loop, and you could fall to your death. You accept that that's a possibility, but you submit yourself to this situation and and agree, and, and agree with yourself with your mind that you're going to be okay mm-hmm. and you get a no fear t-shirt at the end big Anybody time remember those oh yeah <laughs> that font. yeah that font, you, dude. Yeah. you know what no spoilers but now that i think about it that's really what the office episode was all about oh wow. really <laughs> i thought wow. you were about to say i still have those t-shirts and I, and I was shaking my head and i was thinking i knew it I know you so well. Of course. Oh you no! Do. All, all my shirts are now like UFC, MMA shirts. You know, oh, yeah. all the really, really good ones. No wait, like <laughs> this one. I think this is a UFC shirt somewhere. I've got a yeah. I've, I have a I have a bunch of shirts that are just names of podcasts from announcements where they handed us shirts, and I was and I was like, well, I'm not gonna keep buying shirts now. So. Uh, <laughs> So that's, I have a, that's where I'm at. I have a stamps.com shirt that says something about podcasts. Like I made a podcast and all I got was this lousy stamps.com shirt or something <laughs> along the lines. Someone someone was bound to do that. But okay, so if you're a perspective coal walker, it's fine to call yourself a firewalker. Just know that you are being intentionally misleading. Uh, if you walk too slowly, your feet will sink into the coal. You'll go through those temporary insulators and your day will take a bad turn because these folks will burn like any other ordinary person. If you go too fast, you will run the risk of kicking up embers, burning yourself again like any other person, or you'll be doing everything right and a little piece of coal gets stuck between your toes. Also, we have to add, you could slip and fall, and that can turn fatal pretty quickly. So be very cautious. Also, we're not telling you to do it. We're just telling you how it works. You may be asking yourself, hey, why is this always shown happening at night so often? That's all That's all in the PR. It's the pizzazz, baby. It turns out that uh, firewalking at night minimizes the visibility of the ash that covers the coal. Ash is another just trash heat conductor. It's terrible at it. Uh, and when it covers these coals, it blocks the heat. So during the daytime, it might look like people are just making a great to-do about a weird, crumbly gray pathway. But if you show it at night, it looks like things are on fire. Totally. No, it minimizes the the uh, the bad optics and maximizes the good optics because you're not gonna they're not gonna seem nearly as glowy during the day, right? 
Exactly. Exactly. And so this is all calculated. uh, And explained this way, it may seem more like a simple science experiment, even though it is risky. But to a point you made earlier, Matt, we have to remember that this occurs as a rite of passage. So people experiencing this are viewing it through the lens of ritual. Just because it's not supernatural doesn't mean it can't be a fundamentally transformative act. Ordinary things can change your life. Yeah, that's right. Just like the first box of magic cards you ever get. Hey, we're going to keep going down this pathway of looking at some of the more seemingly mystical things that mystics do. (laughs) And we'll tell you more about them after another word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, what's it? 
Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and the last star on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so if you're still with us after we pretty much demystified Walking on Coals, thanks for coming back. I uh, hope you had a good break. Uh, this is something, honestly, Matt, Noel, this is something that just... Uh, I think yep. Chuck would say it squigs me out. I can uh, tell. Yeah, it's uh, it's another very popular thing. Uh, lying down on beds of sharp nails without without being harmed physically. But Ben, it's not the sharp part that squigs you out. It's the 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 materials, right? One hundred percent. The metals. Yeah. No, I I, I get it. Partly, I I think a lot of us out there get it, Ben. Maybe not the, to the extent that, that you experience it, but yeah, it does it's not. Like, even though you could do it safely, guys, for me, honestly, it, it's like the same idea of being forced into a bathtub filled with dangly key rings. It's just, it's just unclean. That one triggered me. I don't understand <laughs> why. Because <laughs> it's all their hands on you, you know. Oh, every, that's, oh, true. that's true. No, that's true. That's very true. Um, but yeah, this is an interesting one, and one that I, I, you know, this is actually the kind of thing that you might even see if you if you've been to a Myrtle Beach esque type town uh, where they have a place called Ripley's. Believe it or not, um, you may have, have have experienced one of these situations yourself. Oh yeah, sure. Um, and you you know, look, I hope you're still around for the ride for this one everybody um we are doing some myth busting over here but this concept this practice the act of laying down on a bed of nails has a really mundane explanation it's it's pretty basic science it has to do with weight distribution um like overall and pressure placement essentially like um, pressure per square inch, essentially. Yep, and our uh, our colleague and friend of the show, Tracy Wilson, who you may recognize from stuff you missed in history class, uh, did a great breakdown of this from the How Stuff Works days. That's exactly what you're talking about, Matt. And she brings up the example of a person in high-heeled shoes. I didn't know this, but if you are walking in high-heeled shoes, you are exerting more pressure on the ground than an elephant, and it's entirely due to this distribution you're talking about, Matt. Like in mathematical terms, pressure is equal to force divided by area. So an wait, elephant- Wait, 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 That's true? <laughs> yes, yes. So an elephant will tend to weigh more than the average person. Yes. Not to, not to body shame elephants <laughs> or people, but its feet have so much more surface area than the pointy heel of the shoe. So despite despite the weight- Overall, 
the the real estate where that weight connects is much smaller in the shoe. So there's there's more force. There are four points of contact with an elephant. Right. Wow, that's mind blowing, Ben. Thank you for that. And Tracy. Jeez. So what what if you fell from a very high height onto one of these beds of nails? Different story, right? Yeah, very, very much so. Because now you have we say fall, but if you think about it, gravity is just pulling you viciously. So you're not you're not in control then of your uh, of your speed or approach. So imagine just to mess with everybody's mind. I don't know if we're Paul. I don't know if you're going to do sound effects for this. No, uh, don't. Paul. <laughs> okay. So imagine that you have unfortunately stepped on a nail. This is not a thought exercise for a lot of us in the audience today. This is a terrible memory. Your foot is exerting a tremendous amount of pressure on a very, very tiny point of connection, Ooh. the tip of the nail. And so that's the sound effect. I'll do the sound oh. ball. So, so the nail goes into your foot. You scream. Uh, your partner is like, oh my God, you're ruining prom or something like that. Or uh, they're, they're like, Harry, <laughs> Harry. And then you get and then you get tetanus and you die. Uh now I always think whenever I think of this, I think of that scene in Home Alone. That kid was sadistic. He really, really overdid it with those poor wet bandits. I mean, you would think after the, the first trap, you someone would say, We should go. That's true. Right? That's true. This kid is way. This kid is demonic. He's obviously a, a psychopath. You know, we and we we have, we are no match for him. Yeah, because like think about that. It feels to me that the dark heart of Home Alone is that Kevin would have done that to anyone who went in the house, mm-hmm. a male, a postal worker, a relative. He just wanted the blood. I think he just wanted the blood. Guys, come on, come on. No, don't, it's actually about the about magic of KK. It's about the magic of Christmas. Let's be real, guys. Which is also kind of about okay. No, no, no. I mean, we we've got a Christmas episode that you can check out <laughs> later. So yeah, hard to ruin Christmas. We we've, we've ruined magic. <laughs> now we've ruined Home Alone, and now we've ruined Christmas. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, Santa Claus is the number one most popular conspiracy theory for most U.S. children. We can't ruin Christmas. As a matter of fact, Christmas is part of the reason this show exists. If you look at the structure, like the philosophical framework of discovering what is or isn't true. So, so it's true a nail will mess up your foot, but it is also true that you can lay on a bed of nails. Well, yeah. Matt, I love that you just have nails. I have a tiny little nail here. <laughs> you just have nails. Imagine <laughs> hundreds of these. <laughs> like, I, I, the next time we hang out in person, I'm going to do an experiment. Well, well, just be like, hey, Matt, do you, do you have, happen to have any nails? And, I am, uh, I, yeah, I'm always with nail. <laughs> always with nails. Because you never know when you'll have to make a bed of nails. And this is safer than a single nail safer with a lot of caveats uh, what you know there's another another one that this, this brings to mind um when you see like suspension artists who uh have hooks that go through their skin um or they can hang either from like two points of contact from their shoulders or uh prone with like multiple hooks and you know y- your mind immediately thinks oh those are gonna rip out 
and they're going to fall and, and they're going to be completely shredded. Their, their backs are going to be shredded. But it's the same concept, right? It's all about weight distribution with those as well. Mm-hmm. It's about weight distribution. That's I would say that's an order uh, of magnitude more complicated, however, because the people who are uh, the people who are inserting those hooks have to have a pretty good knowledge of human anatomy and physiology if they want to avoid uh, lasting harm. But yes, the the thing with a bed of nails is that we still have just the tiny the the tiny point of contact. Uh, like you saw in Matt's nail collection, but we have a bunch of them and they're all close together. So collectively, this is a lot of surface area for the human body. They distribute the pressure of your, you know, not yet carcass and voila. Usually if everything goes all right. Your body will not put enough pressure on any single individual nail for it to break your skin, which means we can extend this. Heck, throw a second bed of nails on top of yourself while we're there and then get one of your buddies to break a cinder block on it. And if everything goes according to plan, you're going to be okay. Again, we are not telling you to do this. We are you're, just saying <laughs> you're going to look super awesome. We're not, we're, not, we're, we're not not telling you to do this. I mean, it's no, like, no, we look, are. We're, yes, we okay, are. Oh, we, we are. are. I'm sorry. We're telling me. you don't I, okay. do this. Don't do any of this. Okay, good. Uh, but you're also, you know, you're, you're your own master of your own destiny. You know, at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah, we're, we're just telling you that um, <laughs> all your crushes will fall in love with you. No, 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 no. Your boss will see it <laughs> oh, and they'll say that's the kind of initiative. Guys, guys, the lawyer phone is ringing. It's, it's lit. It's <laughs> oh, lit up. Geez. It's, uh, oh, jeez. So <laughs> if you have experienced this, Without, like, before hearing from us, we played no part in this. We're just giving you information. We do want to hear your story, though, uh, because one of the most dangerous parts of this practice has nothing to do with you actually lying there with uh, beds of nails being on top of you or even center blocks. The real dangerous part is getting yourself on and off the thing. Once you get on there, you're fine. Uh, but Put you're your most hand likely. Down. Yeah. Or your foot, whatever. Oh, yeah. Goes right through. But they're, they're pretty close together, though, right? That's the whole point. So they're definitely close together. So even your hand, if you're not putting a ton of weight on it, would still, the whole principle would hold. No, maybe it wouldn't. It's too focused, I think. It needs to be more distributed than that, more widely. Yeah, that makes sense. Gotta take it easy. Like a Sunday morning, man. Like soft rock in an elevator. You gotta lay that groove on slow. Uh but what if they were knives, though, guys? What if they were knives? Different? Same? People have attempted things. In, in principle, it's something that that would work just from the concept of the pressure and distribution. And you will see people who are doing those things or purporting to do so, uh, I guess. And someone check me on this. Um, it would obviously depend on the knife, Right. You wanted to play it safe, you could just blunt the tip of the knife, which is probably what someone's done with nails in the past. Um, but I'm just speculating here. It feels like maybe it's the difference between somebody juggling with bowling pins and then somebody juggling with, you know, uh, tennis balls or something. I'm sorry, something more dangerous. Uh, lit torches and uh, chainsaws. Well, uh, the internet did not deliver on bed of knives, but it did deliver a really grisly photo of a dude in the hospital who'd been stabbed in the face. So thanks, internet. 
Uh, let's talk yeah. about something else. <laughs> yeah, oh, good. I've got just the thing for you. Uh, piercing the body. Um, oh yeah, that's what we were just talking about, like um, suspension, right? And also mm-hmm. like putting a nail or another sharp object through your cheek or into your nose or down your throat. Um, a lot of that stuff has to do, like you said, Ben, with knowledge of human anatomy, where it's actually going, remaining calm. Uh, is there anything else to that? Pre- preparation, practice, practice, having an instructor. Yeah. Uh, and you can you can read some great articles on what are called human blockheads. You can see some uh, – there's some fantastic forums on how to safely conduct suspension – uh, but again, that's none of none of those things are things that you want to just watch a YouTube video and attempt for you to do yourself. Uh, but the point is, people are able to do these. There are two other things that we should mention when we're talking about other feats, just briefly, because these might be future episodes. One is the idea of being buried alive, consensually, saying, "Hey, I've thought about it. Put me in the ground." And then take me out and, uh, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah, that it, it doesn't seem real. And we found instances, historical alleged instances where people have been buried for elongated periods of time. I think the one that we got for this was from a long time ago. Someone was supposedly buried for 40 days. Shoot. Is that right? Yeah, that was his name was Jesus. No way! I uh, was in forty was, days. I think it was three days. Only three. God, I, I need yeah, to brush three. up on my my, my Bible verses. Uh, yeah, uh, his name was Sadu Haridas. Uh, yeah, he was. This was allegedly to have occurred in eighteen thirty seven. He was buried alive for forty days and survived. Mm, and it there, it's interesting because there were multiple uh, eyewitness accounts. And they they sound just unimpressed enough for me to think at least a few of them are true. These people did get fooled. There's one British guy who who recounts the story and says uh, they dug him up and like within half an hour he was kind of back to normal, but he was still really frail and feeble. And then half an hour after that, he was just he would talk to people who asked him questions, and uh, he still looked really weak. We were convinced it happened. And so we left. <laughs> that's how. That's what they did. That's. I mean, that sounds unbelievable to me. Um, but the thing is, everybody, there might be something to this. That doesn't mean that that particular story is true, and there wasn't some kind of swindling or weirdness going on there. But there could be something to this, right? And it's something that we might be talking about later. No spoilers, though. Okay. No, you're right, Matt. You're right. It's hard to bite our tongues on this one, but uh, this is this is a future episode. We think we figured it out, and not if again, not necessarily in a debunking way. We we found something, uh, and we want to bring it to you soon. But while we're here, we're talking about feats. There's another big one that I think is interesting uh, because it's one of the more extreme. It's one of the more controversial. Uh, it's one that is pretty divisive. Back it shouldn't in, be possible, right? It's, it's impossible. That's that's why it's divisive. It's divisive because it's physically impossible. Uh, back in 2010, there was a guy named Prahlad Johnny, and he's a religious teacher. Some people considered him a prophet. 
Uh, he was about 82 in 2010, and he was located in Gujarat. He claimed that he had not consumed, get this, any food or any water of any sort in more than 70 years. Uh, this was this occurred after a uh, an encounter he had with divinity when he was 11 years old. And so science came to bear. A Dr. Sakir Shah, the director of neuroscience at the Sterling Hospital in Ahmedabad, decided to investigate. He and a team monitored Johnny for 10 days in 2003, during which time they confirmed that he did not eat anything, drink anything, urinate, or generate bowel movements, which is a really unnecessarily formal way to say he wasn't pooping. Those are all superpowers in and of themselves, each of those. It's a real broad portfolio of of freakish (laughs) abilities there. Well, there are two there are two schools of thought here, though. The first is 10 days. People fast for a long time. People who are serious about fasting can do that with food. But water is a different story because uh, let's technically maybe that's not the right word. Scientifically, uh, according to what we understand about humans and bodies and water, you shouldn't be able to go more than. I would say maximum four days. Is that about right? Without water. Mm. And they're saying they monitor, monitored him for 10 days and he didn't take in any water or expel anything, uh, any of the byproducts of water. Mm, that seems, that seems impossible. Mm, it does. And that's why they went back with the guy in 2010. They monitored him again. And this time they extended the monitoring period to 15 days They got the same results. Uh, No urine, no feces, no food, no drink. And outside of a couple of very limited circumstances that we're not going to talk about just yet, uh, this this is impossible. And, And I hate to be the downer here, but Nightline got wind of this and they went to investigate they saw what this man was calling his, or what had been described as his cave, his studio apartment. And in on video, you can see that this apartment has a refrigerator. When the people working for Nightlight asked one of this teacher's followers, hey, it's a very reasonable question. Why does a guy who doesn't have to eat, why, why does he need a refrigerator? And then the follower apparently became very, very defensive, refused the crew entry into the dwelling, and they walked away with it still being a mystery. Hmm, doesn't sound like a mystery to me. <laughs> uh, but maybe he's just got an ice maker in there, and he needs the ice for another purpose, right? Um, maybe the ice isn't to drink, it's to cool down something or to feed some houseplants. Or to gently caress his body with, you know, during Mm. his alone times. Playful eyes. I like it. Exactly. He practices his Wim Hof meditation. That was the uh, full circle, guys. Full circle. With the door open. I I don't, I mean, we don't want to be, seem like we're being entirely dismissive. These are just the things that we know to be true about this case. Please do not attempt uh, to starve yourself. Please do not attempt to be a breatharian or anything. This stuff is dangerous. And every every technique we've described has given people serious injuries at some point over history. So if you want to achieve these sorts of things, then what you'll need to do is study with the experts in these uh, in these feats, right? Find someone 
was walk over coals and, and look at their feet first before you decide whether or not you're going to pay them to teach you. But now find your seen, own David Blaine and grab onto right. a bunch of balloons and go up way too high and then jump down <laughs> with a parachute. Or get someone like Darren Brown to convince you that you did it and you just don't remember it. Uh, <laughs> that's a great idea. Uh, it, it seems then that the question of mind over matter in the world of mysticism is often at least misrepresented. We know thought can alter the structure of the human brain to the point where if you maybe listening to a bunch of podcasts might do something to your brain too. We don't know yet because podcasts haven't been around long enough for us to find out. But it also turns out that many of the physical feats that are thought to be the result of mental or cognitive superpowers turn out to be the clever, ritualized application of well-established scientific principles. We can dismiss some of these folks as hoaxers and frauds, but there's one crazy thing here. We have to remember the primary tool they are using to trick the crowds and the followers isn't a prop like a nail it's, it's not uh, some coals and some ash. The primary tool is their mind, which means they are wielding mind over matter, maybe not as much, but they're using their mind to exert influence over the minds of others. So we ended up with mind over mind, which sounds way less, I don't know. They're using your mind as a weapon too. Oh, no. <laughs> No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. At least as far as we know. Now, we may be off base there. One thing we didn't talk about was the uh, uh, levitation, right? The purported acts of levitation. We also didn't talk about the infamous but rarely uh, witnessed trick of climbing up a, a rope. That's not, you know, that's not attached to anything seemingly. And we want to hear from you. Have you witnessed Physical feats that cannot be explained by ordinary means. We're talking seemingly superhuman, Wim Hof kind of stuff. If so, let us know. We want to hear from you because, as always, we want to see actual cases of this. How amazing would that be? First, put in a call to us, 1-833-STDWYTK. Leave us a message. Tell, tell us what you saw. Uh, send us some... I don't know, pictures or something on one of our socials or something. And immediately after that, call James Randy or whoever is representing him and his hotline and collect a million dollars or whatever their bounty is right now for something um, intensely like ESP powers or something mystic like that. But first call us at one eight one eight three three std witk Mm-hmm. If you don't want to use a telephone, maybe you got germ, you know, a phobia or something like that, uh, or you don't like handling plastic or I don't know what a phone's made of these days. Who knows? Another mystery. We'll sort that one out later. You can use social media to get in touch with us. Uh, we are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're Conspiracy Stuff, Conspiracy Stuff Show. One of those. You're going to find us. Um, we recommend highly that you join our Facebook group. Here's where it gets crazy. Just name a name associated with the show, any of the three of us, any of our super producers, a joke for Ben, you know, uh, anything to let us know that you're aware of what the show is and you're in. Um, lots of fun meme exchanges and uh, communication between conspiracy realists, and we hop into the fun as well. And if none of that quite bags your badgers, never fear. We have one more way that you can always contact us, uh, rain or shine, until we get black bagged. It's our email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. 
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.